Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Don't Bend the Page Podcast. I'm your host Brandon Sawkill, and this month I read a book that includes such wonderful qualities as incest, a child porn operation controlled by Satanists, all women folk are horrible creatures, and I come to the striking conclusion that in order to write a stupid book, all you gotta do is really not give a shit. So sit back, relax, and prepare your sphincters. This is Don't Bend the Page Podcast. God damn this book. Oh, holy hell. So, first things first. If you hear any noise in the background, I apologize. That's what happens when you live in a trailer park. (laughs) And there's just tons of people weaving in and out. Okay, that's out of the way. So, I definitely chose the right book to start off this show. In fact, this book is so goddamn dumb that I'm a little worried. All... You know, like all other books after it will not reach the level of insanity this one carries. It's a lot. But hey, a boy can dream. So, without further ado, allow me to cordially invite you into the world of William W. Johnstone's Toy Cemetery. There they were, just as he remembered, rooms and rooms of them dolls, toy soldiers, clowns. When he was a kid, his Aunt Carrie's toy collection should have been a child's paradise. Mm Mm-hmm, I agree with that. But instead, he had been terrified by their staring eyes and limp arms. Mm, that ain't good. Twenty years had passed since Jay Clute set foot in Victory, Missouri. Twenty years of trying to forget that night. That hellish night of unimaginable horror. Mm-mm. Now his Aunt Carrie's dead, and it's all been left to him. The house, the furniture, every last piece of her collection. Well, hell, that ain't too bad. And nothing had changed. Not the painted-on dolly smiles or the garish clown colors. Or hell, the tiny hands that were dripping with bright red blood. Toy Cemetery, coming to a bookstore near you. Mm-hmm. Shoo-wee! Now, judging by that synopsis, one would get the brilliant idea that this book would, you know, be sort of badass. Even the awesome cover art that I, you know, click-click posted up before the episode. A lot of these books from the 80s usually had that kind of cover art, you know? And it's almost like uh, like VHS cover art from the old movie rental days. That alone forces you to pick it up without any resistance. And on that level alone, I have to give it credit. 
these book covers, like I mentioned earlier with the VHSs, it's a style on, all on its own. And that's pretty neat. Now you see, for those that may not remember or was not breathing the good air yet just to understand, the mass market paperback books were the fucking bees, knees in the industry, man. Oh, they were everywhere. They're sometimes called pocket books, for they're so condensed that you could literally shove those fuckers right in your back pocket. You could. Or have them sticking out of your fanny pack. <laughs> you know, just enough for the title to be shown, so you can prove to society that, yeah, I can read. <laughs> okay, so, now what I find cool is that pocket books still exist in today's market, oddly enough. You'll mostly find them in large retail stores or actual bookshops like Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. But it's those pitiful book sections I love, man. You know, the ones you find at a fucking Walmart. <laughs> oh, they always make me laugh. They usually get overshadowed by the Hallmark section. You know, the Hallmark cards. Oh, because, you know, your mother that you never talk to, she's so gonna love this $12 card that sings. Now, what's, what's interesting about those sections is that they usually only have the bare necessities, you know, just for the, for the common reader. You got your Stephen King, uh, your James Patterson, your Dean Kuntz, and uh, a slew of romance books that are usually called um, Harlequins, if I'm remembering right. Um, but yeah, now that I think about it, Target's book selection is not bad. But, pfft, hey, whatever. <laughs> That's that's actually going to be my show now, is the history of books, from the printing press to your front door. Mm. Listen, in a nutshell, you no longer had to carry fat fucking hardbacks with you anymore. Bada boom, bada bing, moving on. Now it's here that we begin to slide into the 80s. The 80s and even on into the 90s, pretty much, saw a huge spike in pocketbook sales. Mainly, again, for reasons I've stated previously. But as time went on, and, you know, the internet began to take shape. Uh, digital downloading grew more popular. Video killed the radio star. Physical book sales started, you know, taking a kamikaze nosedive right into the abyss, man. Finito. As such, smaller distributions disappeared. And society, you know, as quietly as they could, <laughs> swept the majority of those shit-filled paperback books right under the rug. <laughs> oh, and this is where I come in. Oh, that's right. One by fucking one. I'm going to unearth these ugly bastards. Yeah, you know your sweet ass I am. I'm going to unearth them like some kind of uh, Lovecraftian afterbirth. Just to see how far I can swim into the deep end of this shitty pool. Which, hey, the shit goes far and wide. <sighs> okay, so let's do it, man. I'm ready. Now... This is your first and only warning. From here on out, all logic is out the fucking door, man. So give it hugs. Give it kisses. Do whatever you gotta do because we're shipping that son of a bitch out of here. He's gone. Out of here, finito. Are you good? Alright, don't worry. All logic will return to you once we're done. Possibly. Okay. Oh, and uh, just a heads up. There will be spoilers left and right. In fact, this will be pretty much the layout of every episode, so if you'd rather <laughs> if you'd rather not have a book called Toy Cemetery spoiled for you, you know, like the milky bot two weeks ago and shoved to the back of the fridge, I know how you do things. Now is your time to bail out. So, if any of you were paying attention to that synopsis a moment ago, 
then you'll know that our main character is a man named Jay Clute. Uh, Clute here is spelled like, uh, pretty much like, <laughs> pretty much like flute. Just remove the F, replace a C. Now he's a 38-year-old Vietnam vet. That is now, uh, he has a successful accounting firm in New York City. <laughs> New York City? <laughs> you guys remember that commercial? That Pace brand salsa. They always showed the salsa being poured over chunks of cheese and microwaved all the shit. You remember that? Oh man, I should toss this goddamn book into the microwave and see what happens. I might try that. Now, Jay is driving back to his hometown of Victory, Missouri, along with his nine-year-old daughter, Kelly. Now, I want you guys to understand this early on because it'll probably piss you off later on in the review. Like it did pretty much me. Old Big W. Johnstone here starts off writing Kelly as a smart-ass, uh, you know, take-no-shit, strong-willed young girl. She has her values, and she sticks to them. This, my dear friends, is what you call character development. It's uh, very essential in getting behind a character that will drive the story by him or her or itself and or will be assisting that main character in helping to drive the story. So as of now, this is how Kelly is treated. Remember that. Jay, on the other hand, starts off just weird and unlikable for me for some reason, just right out of the gate. Now, I don't know if this was a thing that some parents will say to their children, or if it was a thing to say back in the dark ages of the 80s, but Jay always addresses his daughter as baby. Damn near everything he says to her. Uh, here's some examples. Um, that's me, baby. 100% domineering man. Well, compared to, you know, compared to New York City, baby, it is. I'm sorry for that, baby, but it is. Baby, 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 baby. It just comes off as gross to me for some reason. I don't know, I can't explain it really. It'd be one thing to say it maybe a couple of times, but for every single response, damn near especially, only in the beginning for some reason. Uh, by time by time his and Kelly's relationship shifts, by the middle of the book, he no longer says it. But for the first half, it's just that's how he addresses her all the time. If it's just me... Hey, let me know. It's at this moment that we're introduced to our first toy. Yeah, our first toy running out in the middle of the road like a Geico squirrel. And Jay swerves just in time to miss it. Now, Kelly states that it must have been a toy. She knew exactly what it was. Jay, on the other hand, being a goddamn dumbass adult, scoffs at this naturally and states that it was just a tiny person. A little person. <laughs> a little person? <laughs> Whoa! Has he never seen a little person before? As such, has he never? Can he not distinguish between a little person and a toy? Come on, Jay! It was at this point that I was I was hoping Jay would die within the next five pages. Oh no! Lucky me! This motherfucker makes it till the end. Hooray! So once Jay and Kelly get into victory, Jay immediately heads to Fletcher Real Estate to sort out why he's returning to his hometown. Now his uh, Aunt Carrie, like the synopsis said, has passed away and has left everything to him. One of those things being lots and lots of moolah, that green, that cheddar. Um, it's never explained how much, but apparently it's a lot. And while he does this, Kelly asks him to go look at an abandoned toy store. 
Now, here's where it starts to get a little muddled, for me especially. John Stone, his writing, he will intercut between what Jay's doing and what Kelly's doing, making it so hard to follow what any goal is being accomplished with both stories. And I should mention, as the book uh, progresses, this becomes the norm, especially since this book, by, by the resolution, this book will almost have about 12 characters, and he will jump between Jay, what Jay's doing, what Kelly and the gang of kids are doing, what the Satanists are doing. You remember that pervert Bruno Dixon? Well, he, well let's see what he's doing too. And there's no indication. You know how George R.R. R. Martin with, um, uh, I don't want to say Game of Thrones, I think it's the Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> I read books. I, I do know that's how he separates his chapters. Is uh, Every chapter is in the... Pretty much every chapter is labeled the person you will be reading for that chapter. Not saying this book had to be that, but if you're going to have multiple characters or multiple situations being explored, you're going to need a lot more than a fucking page break to understand where we are shifting in time. And let me just say, these page breaks are not handled in a clear and in precise manner, say, that you would find in a Stephen King book, where his page breaks are they're easily distinguishable between time and or character no 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 here johnstone was just like he looked down at the inner key and hit it twice and was like oh yeah okay i'm good let's move on and it's because of that you will never get a handle on the setting as the only indication like i mentioned that we're jumping to for some other location or group of people is a simple page break it's maddening so, for anyone who dares to venture into this book, I guess, hey, good luck. <laughs> so, while Jay's doing his thing, Kelly runs into a group of kids that, once you read a few paragraphs in, it becomes obvious that John Stone just got done reading or watching a story by Stephen King and was like, Oh, oh, well, hell, I, I can do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good luck trying to visualize what any of these kids look like. Because not an ounce of fucking personality is given to either of them. Okay, he, here's here's the lowdown of the kids that uh, Kelly meets. Here's pretty much how I was told by reading how they're described. There's Ginny, as John uh, Stone describes as the leader. That's it, just the leader. There's Carla, who's only described as having freckles and red hair. There's twins named Ange and Andy. Yeah. They're just twins. <laughs> they could be fucking bipedal amoebas for all I know. Hey, but they're twins. Oh, and there's Ken. Oh, Ken. How could I forget Ken? Because <laughs> he's just said, that's all it said, is just Ken. God damn it in a handbasket, this sucks ass. So that's the group of kids. That's all I'm going to tell you because really only one of them, Jenny the leader, will have any real dedicated page time. So, say goodbye to all the others, because if Big W doesn't give a shit, neither are we. Now, it's here that the kids, uh, well, actually, I, I should go back. The kids, the rest of the kids do show up, but they all end up being evil, and I'll explain later. Now, it's here that the kids warned Kelly not to go into that store. They never explain why. <laughs> go figure. But once Kelly runs off with them, we're given a brief moment to a fat man who watches them run away and licks his lips. Mm -mm. This is Bruno Dixon. And this is our town pervert, everyone. Every town needs a pervert. A brief plot device 
is now thrown in like a brown paper bag filled with flaming dog shit. And we come to realize he's making dolls. Dolls that come to life. After, and here's, I, I kid you not, when he's making these dolls, it comes to a point where John Stone describes it as such, quote unquote, Bruno Dixon enjoys putting the little bras and panties on them. Oh, come on, man. And believe me, the sexualization ugh, only goes downhill from here, folks. So yeah, that's the fat pervert. You won't really need to worry about him or read about him again until the end. <laughs> Naturally, right? So, okay. Jay is finalizing the deed and assets from his Aunt Carrie's will. And then he's suddenly bombarded by a young girl named Amy Fletcher. Like I said, Fletcher Real Estate is the building name. As such, the man who owns it, Amy is his daughter. Out of the blue, she starts eyeball-fucking Jay and asks if he'll need any help unpacking his belongings later on. Ooh. Now, if any of you are thinking that unpacking his belong uh, belongings means his pecker, you'd be right. So Amy shows up much later on in the book to help Jay unpack his pecker. <laughs> it happens. And with Kelly still out playing with the Sam's Club version of Stand By Me, Jay gives Amy the old pin the tail on the donkey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Sex. Sex is what I mean. But then, after the sexy time is done, Amy begins to cry. Oh, Amy, no. She has no idea what she's done, revealing to Jay that Something powerful and strange came over her. Like she had no control. Uh-huh. I know what you're doing, John Stone, old Big W. I'm sure that's what you would like all women to say to you, Big W. You fucking creep. You're dead. You're long gone. You're in the grave. And I've never met you. I will never meet you. I know you're a goddamn creep. That's sad. That's a little sad. I have to admit. Kelly eventually returns to the house where her and Jay are staying in and they begin to hear rummaging in the house worried that a thief might be lurking about Jay calls up some cops <laughs> boy I love how this story moves right along so a couple of cops show up one of them is given a name Jim Klein he's the only one that will display any sort of importance so that other cop yeah let's treat him like a fart in the fucking wind he's given no name they check the house out and of course nothing is found what a surprise Let's move on. Time passes, and uh, Jim Klein shows up on the doorstep of Jay's house and says, Hey, I gotta tell you some shit, man. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, I'm another plot device. Yeah, buddy, let me just sit on down here and tell you. So Jim shows up, and he pretty much tells him, Hey, I'm aware of strange shit that's been happening in Victory. Are you experiencing some strange shit? Well, hey. I've been experiencing some strange shit long before you, motherfucker, so let me tell you. So he tells him. This is when it's revealed by Jay that his parents and little sister vanished when he was a boy. Huh. Oh, wow. You know, this would have been cool to have some information on Jay, you know, in the beginning. As, I don't know, maybe as he's driving into Victory, Missouri. Wouldn't that be a great place to, as they're driving back to his hometown, wouldn't that be a great place for him to reminisce about what he lost there? Giving us a little bit of, you know, like I mentioned earlier, character development. But no, now it's here. Almost 60 fucking pages in. Now it's here that he tells us. All right. But as their discussion uh, moves forward, it's interrupted by a scream. 
a scream by his daughter, Kelly. What could it be? Come to find out, there's a small cut on her ankle as she immediately tells Jay and Jim that there's a toy soldier, and it's one of them that cut her. Oh yeah, that's right. There's fucking toys in this book. <laughs> With a title like Toy Cemetery, who would have thought that toys don't show up? <laughs> Alright, cool. Oh, and there's no cemetery yet either. I think it happens, but not right now. Alright, so, with Jay, Jim, and Kelly in the room together with the toy soldier, the toy is alive. All three of them, here's one of the stupidest things in this book too, man, one of a hundred. The toy is alive, all three of them visually see it being alive, and it's shouting. And it's shouting in what the characters think to be either German or Norwegian. <laughs> but then it's stated immediately right after that neither of them can speak German or Norwegian. <laughs> So, how the fuck do you even know what it is then? I mean, yeah, German can be distinguishable, even if you don't read or write it, or speak it. You can almost kind of distinguish what German is. But Norwegian, I would imagine, can be a little tricky. So why... <sighs> so why mention German or Norwegian, and then state immediately that no character can speak it? You know what I mean? So then why have a character be like, Oh, I... Well, hey, that's either German or Norwegian. Or Japanese's. I can't tell you though. I don't. I don't speak either. <laughs> All right, moving on. It's then that the toy just goes back to being a toy. And what do the characters do? And let me tell you, this happens more than once. Yeah, it'd be some. It. I can understand maybe utilizing this once because the characters are still in a situation other than fucking Jim Klein, obviously, who knows all the evil. But like Jay and Kelly, who are just moved back in, they're not quite aware yet of the evil. I can understand this happening to them. However, this happens quite a bit. And when the toy goes to back to being a toy, what do the characters do? Well, it must have been a trick of the light. Yeah, I shit you not, that's how they treat the situation. There's an evidential cut right there on Kelly's ankle. There's blood on the blade of the toy. And the toy is fucking alive shouting at them. But they're like, hey, God, did someone leave a window open? Huh? Did someone leave a window open? There must be a draft in this house somewhere. Hey, goddamn windows open. Must be raising a fucking bond. That happens. I kid you not. Oh, okay. So, time passes again. Never told how much. Time just passes. Could be months, fucking years. Hey, just roll with the punches. Jay hears the doorbell and by the power of fucking Grayskull, we're introduced to another character. Deva is her name. Now, it's spelled D-E-V-A. I was... I don't know why. Uh, I was... Sometimes I kept calling her Diva. Maybe that's why I wanted her name to be. But then I was spelled... And then I remembered it spelled D-I-V-A. So, with the E replacing the I, I had to say, Hey, it's probably fucking Deva. And I'm going way too much into this than I should be, and I apologize. However, I did find out something, though. Deva is uh, the name of an uh, what used to be a Roman fortress in Britannia. Hey, 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 I think it's now present-day Chester, England. I looked all that up. I don't want anyone here thinking I'm some geographical whiz kid. Because it's, <laughs> it's not true. I looked that shit up. I was interested. So, Deva reveals to Jay that she writes romance books under the pseudonym Yvonne Mikhan. Oh, and she owns the local newspaper. Those are the only two things you were ever given on Deva. Oh, she used to be married to a guy with a last name, uh, last name having Lawrence. But she dumped his ass. And that's all you're given on Deva. She has a daughter who's Jenny. 
Do you remember Jenny? Oh, it's all coming back together now. Jenny is the leader of the gang. How clever. So yeah, and from from what it, you know, from what I could make out and from what it's told, Deva is concerned why Jay's back into town. And then the re the reveal happens. Deva, much like Jim Klein the cop, is aware of all the weird and stupid shit that's going on and has some background on the town's dark and twisted history. And uh, right after that, there's a page break, and now we're back to the kids. Oh, yeah, we got kids here. Dodson! Dodson! We've got Dodson here! See, nobody cares. So right out of the gate, within the first sentence that you read, going back to the kids, the, the gang of kids hold Kelly hostage for a bit, asking her if she's a witch woman. Jesus Christ, because, you know, we live in a spooky town where spooky shit happens and all outsiders are evil until they prove their worth. Well, here's where the worth is proven. After eating a bunch of pizza and ice cream, the kids decide Kelly, Kelly's all right. Man, she scarfed that pizza pretty good, I tell you what. And hey, she's the one that recommended Rocky Road, and we can't fault her for that. So she's all right. <laughs> If only it were that easy in real life, you know? So upon this decision, the gang tells Kelly that they're going to go, uh, they're going to go take her to see Father Patrick, Father Pat for short. He's the priest. Uh, he's going to uh, help her explain the weirdness of victory to her. Because even she, you know, after the attack of the toy, some of the townspeople acting weird. She's like, eh, something's not right with this place. I got to find out. So she goes with the kids. And it's within this encounter that one of the weird moments happens again. Now this happens again a few more times. As they're writing, a teenage boy is just sitting outside his house and he yells out to the kids and he's like, Hey! And he whips out his dick. This teenage boy, just he just whips it out and just starts just, he gives a little bit of hip wiggle. Like a little bit of the uh, hip wiggle. You know, he's like, oh, oh, you see that? There's some smackage left to right on both thighs. And he's like, check this out. And there's a moment. Where Kelly, she's like, oh, maybe. Maybe that, you know what? I like the look of that. I like the look of that. And that's the evil taking over for over for her, over for her, something her. That's when the evil takes over her. For a little bit. That's a that's a brief uh little look into what the evil has over this town. Sex, baby, just all about sex. Okay, so it's here that Father Pat is introduced. All we know of him is that he's a priest and he's blind. <laughs> That's literally how it's written in the book, folks. I kid you not. Here, here's Father Pat. He's a priest and he's blind. Okay, cool. Good to know. Uh, oh, and he also has a, a chauffeur slash handyman slash bodyguard named Eric. Uh, and Eric is a man with few words, although as the book progresses, this man will start spewing out paragraphs of words. So much for a man with few words. Father Pat talks uh, a bit about the town's fuckery and has Eric give Kelly two crosses, one for her and one for her father. After this, Father Pat and Eric, they look at each other and they decide they want to go watch some PBS. And that's all we get to see of them for a while. So, I'm sure by now some of you are asking, probably not, but if you are, hey, what about Jay and that new character, Deva? Well, it's a good thing you asked. Because neither of them are really doing a goddamn thing. They get in a car and drive around. I remember that much. Almost hitting... Oh, check this shit out. They almost hit another toy that runs out to the middle of the road. <clears throat> and what's their reaction to the toy? 
well, that was weird. <laughs> and they keep driving on. <laughs> now, the uh, one of the only things of importance that happens to them while they're together driving around is when Jay spots the huge mental institution. And we're told by Deva that once you go in, you come out much different than before. That's cool to know. This hospital, you see, plays a huge part into what's making the people of Victory act weird and zombie-like. Because in the day, during the day, they're all smiles. I forgot to mention this. During the day, they're all smiles. They're happy-go-lucky. They treat you like civilized human beings. The moment the sun goes down, ooh boy. They just start wandering the streets. They start hurling insults at you left and right. They get real nasty. The true form comes out. in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. So once we learn that, the book shifts. This is where another page break happens and briefly to the Satanists. They're Satanists. And they, they're talking about Jay at this moment and about why the toys are rebelling. Oop. Which, where the fuck is that in this book? Right? You know? God damn it. And they talk about Jim Klein, the cop, and how he's putting his business where it shouldn't be. And uh, that's it. <laughs> Another page break. Time to move on. <laughs> so if any of you right now are, are wondering, like, what the fuck is going on? Trust me. I've read this thing. I tried putting notes together, and I'm still lost. So it's right here that we're going to have a commercial break because your brains need to take a breath. So does mine. Be back in a sec. Well, hey there, good sir. Do you like movies? Uh, yeah, I think I do. I mean, I've seen a few in my time. <laughs> well, that's swell. While we're at it, what's your favorite movie? Well, I think I'd have to go with that there Firewalker. Yeah, they, I, I, I'd have to go with that one. It's got my favorite person in the whole U.S. of A., Mr. Chuck Norris himself. <laughs> oh, uh, well, okay, that's, uh, it's got one good hell of a story. Mm-hmm, uh, I tell you what, there's adventure, there's treasure, there's action. Uh, did I mention Chuck Norris? <laughs> yes, yes he did. It's got a black guy in if it. If you find yourself enjoying fire, Don't Bend the Page and want a podcast that pertains to the movie lover in you, then make sure to check out Late Night, Night Rentals, a weekly fire, show dedicated to all the movies no one I talks believe. about. There's it's got everything from, there's well, I'll just let my good friend in. behind me do the talking. There's the shrill cries of death. I can't remember if there's any rope swinging, but if not, there ought to be. There's this ancient guardian. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Don't Bend the Page. You guys still with me? Has anyone jumped ship? Honestly, at this point, it'll probably benefit you if you do. So if anyone's still here, let's move on. All right, so we left off with a bunch of Satanists, as now the book quickly uh, pulls you through a couple of action scenes. And these fuckers are quick. They're back-to-back, -back, separated again by a goddamn... by a page break. So here, here's the two uh, action scenes. The first one is a gang of kids get attacked. The gang of kids get attacked by a group of teenagers. Um, and again, this teenager whips out his penis. 
But Kelly is pissed off by this. You know, this is the second time that's happened to her. So she gets off her bike and kicks that fucker right in the nuts. Good for her. And then it cuts. It goes right to another uh, right to another action scene. The second is Jay and Deva. They're back in their car, only now they're trapped in the car as a large humanoid creature slowly approaches them. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah. I shit you not, you're probably thinking the same thing. This book's about toys and about cemeteries. Why is this humanoid creature here? Now this book has a fucking humanoid creature. The only description of this creature is this. <clears throat> it's large, with the head the size of an apple, short legs, long arms, and it carries with it a club. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? So, how will Jay get them out of this situation? It's quite simple, really. He puts his car in reverse, and he pulls into a gravel road and just turns off his lights. Yeah, that's it. Just turns off his lights. The creature becomes confused, wondering, Hey, where'd you guys go to? Johnstone writes this off as simply the headlights were so bright that it confused the creature. <sighs> Whatever, man. So Jay and Deva then see something weirder. A group of hospital orderlies blind the creature with their own flashlights, pin it down, and haul it away. And you guessed it. Page break. We're on to another scene. <laughs> um, not so much another scene as just a passage of time. Which here is not too bad here. I'm assuming maybe the passage of time is an hour. But we're back on to Jay and Deva as they're driving back into victory. And Deva then asks Jay to roll down his window. And she says this. Roll down your window, Jay, and tell me what you smell. That's what she says. Jay responds by simply saying, Huh. It sure does stink, whatever it is. P.U. And then Deva followed it. Uh, she follows this up by saying, Well, that smell, it's evil, Jay. Pure evil. It just began about a week ago. <laughs> a week ago? A week ago, Deva, really? You just announced to Jay that you've been living here all your life and you're completely aware of all the fuckery that's going on. But this evil nonsense, oh, it happened a week ago. So this evil begins to show itself more as the people of Victory are just wandering around in the middle of the night. Now, I mentioned this earlier. They will do that at night. They're all smiles and happy and just a wandering until nighttime is when they get a little violent. That's, where, that's when fights break out. It's never explained as to why nighttime does this. Maybe Johnstone was like, well, nighttime means dark, and darkness means evil, and let's put the evil here in the darkness because it's dark, and it's, uh, well, evil. <laughs> yes, evil. And it's at this point where I begin to question Jay's actions. If you're experiencing all this shit, you know what you do, man? You take your fucking daughter, and you just leave. Not once in this book... Has it ever explained that once you enter victory, you can't leave? You know what I mean? So just take your daughter and leave, man. Just get out of here. Does he do that? Fuck no, he doesn't. Because it's a William W. Johnstone book. After everyone goes home, Jay and his daughter Kelly try to get some sleep. And this is where the book gets a little icky. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, there seems to be this power over the people of victory and how they want to just have sex all the time. Just sexy sex. Well, in the middle of the night, 
Kelly opens the door to Jay's bedroom and gets naked. Or, okay, here's how Johnstone writes it. Kelly slips out of her PJs. Ugh. That's what he writes. So, Kelly slips out of her PJs and starts to straddle her father, Jay. For a brief moment, Jay feels the urge to go through with the act. But then, oh, you remember those do damn crosses? Yeah, that's right. The crosses that Father Pat gave Kelly, one around her neck, the other around Jay's. They clink together, and the ancestral bond is broken. Jay screaming in terror and tossing Kelly to the floor and locking her in the bedroom. For a brief moment, anyway. Kelly then starts to claw at the door, and she's like, But Daddy, I need it. Daddy, come on, Daddy. Let's get to it. Jay's like, Fuck, no, man. Hell no. So he grabs her, one of the one of two sensible things this man does in this book. He grabs her, throws her in the shower, turns on the cold water, and boom, the spell was broken. Which, why the spell wasn't completely broken when the crosses touched each other? <laughs> Moving on. It's after this then that we're taken back to the Satanist. Oh, I'm sorry. The Satanists. And they're pissed off right now that Jay and his daughter didn't go through with the act. When this is revealed to me, I'm wondering, so do they have the ability to look in on everyone, on everyone's actions in the town? Because this isn't made clear either. How do they know they didn't go through with the act? Is it because the power is in the moment, you know, the moment the penis enter, enters the vagina? Are there, is it like, you know, almost like a, a buzz in the back of their head with like, <gasps> ding, 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 they did it. Never explained. For some reason, they just know what everyone's doing. Because, you know, they're Satanists. They have the power of evil. I should also mention to you guys right now that this is only 115 pages in. Yeah, 115 pages in. The book is 412 pages in total length. In terms of giving you an ungodly amount of what the fuckery in such a short span, then hey, yeah, there's that at least. However, it's also right about here that the book begins to lose its steam. With such a ridiculous amount of pages... We start to enter the filler portion of this dopey, bow-legged bastard. So for the next 150 to about 200 pages, it literally becomes a back-and-forth spit session. Now, a bunch of the main protagonist characters, which ends up being about close to 12 of them, it's like, so you've got Jay, Dava, uh, you've got the group of kids, along with Kelly, you've got Father Pat, his handyman, Eric, and, uh, oh yeah, I should mention, a whole new character enters, Piper, Jay's ex-wife. It comes to a point where Jay's like, instead of taking his daughter out himself, leaving the town, he calls up his ex uh, ex-wife, Piper, who's only described as being one of the top models in the country. So there's that. Maybe that can paint a picture for you. But yeah, he calls Piper and he's like, look, babe, eh, there's some weird stuff going on. Do you mind coming all the way over here to Victory, Missouri and getting Kelly and getting her out of there? Now, I know what you're thinking. Why don't you just get your sorry ass in that truck and just take her out of here yourself? I, I, I hear you. I, I hear you 100%, Piper. But there's shit going on here. And I, you know, I'm written in as the hero, so I better start doing some heroic shit. So just get your sorry ass over here and take our daughter and just do the thing I can't do. Can you please? So yeah, all of these main uh, characters, including Piper now, the ex-wife, everybody, they're in a room. Here's another thing I can't... So there's there's a house, there's the main house that uh, Jay is given to in the will. 
house by his aunt Carrie. <clears throat> oh, Jesus Christ. So there's that house. And there's another house that's never fully explained. Uh, but apparently that's the house where everyone is staying in. There's two houses. And it's pissing me off now that I can't fully remember which house is which. But that's how this book, that's what this fucking book does to you, goddammit. So, from here on out, um, I'm going to go through and give you the big reveal that happens leading up to the end. And then the cliff notes of the resolution itself. Because trust me, trying to lay out every piece of dialogue encounter while trying to explain to you who's who will be a massive migraine. And I don't want to do that to you. And I don't want to do it to myself again. With that said, the big shocking uh, shocking reveal of this book is when Jay, Deva, Jim Klein, Amy Fletcher, you know, that girl who unpacked Jay's belongings, yeah, you know her, Piper, which I mentioned earlier is her, his ex-wife, and, uh, and then there's this last new character. His name is named uh, General Douglas. He's an old-timer who's known of the horrible shit in victory, and because of Jay has found the spark within himself to eliminate the evil once more. Also, uh, General Douglas apparently knew Jay's Aunt Carrie back in the day, and he knows of some of the awful acts that she was involved in. That's written in as well. Okay, do you have all that? See what I mean about the characters? I, it, it's fucking difficult. It's maddening. I can't stand it. You'll be reading and reading, and then you just turn the page and bam, a new character. And instead of giving you any sort of character development or any kind of background... John Stone will just automatically include this character into the group, which only then adds to the fucking noise, and you're left wondering whether or not you should tie off a plastic bag around your fucking head, waiting for the pleasing and comforting release of death. Okay, moving on. Speaking of being aware of Aunt Carrie's awful acts, Jay and the, uh, the adult gang decide to go to his Aunt Carrie's house to see if they can make some sense of where the evil started. Now, upon entering the house, everyone is introduced to the sounds of rough sex. Jay notices this sound and of the woman's voice and moans. It's his Aunt Carrie! The man she's having sex with? Keeping up with the popular demands here, it's her brother. General Douglas recognizes this immediately and explains to everyone that, yeah, that's uh, Clint. That's Clint Clute. And he's having sex with Carrie. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now you're probably saying to yourself, well, isn't this Aunt Carrie character dead? Oh, you are definitely right, oh dear comprehensive one. The shocker here is that, wait for it, bom, 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 bom. they're g -g 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 ghosts. Yep, we got ancestral ghost sex here. So with that, I will now act out my interpretation of this wonderful ancestral bond between brother and sister. How it actually ends up being is kind of boring. I don't want to bore you with that. So here's my interpretation of their sex act. Ready? And go. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Right there, sister. Oh, yeah. A little to the left, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, come on now. I can't get a good enough view when you're turned about like that now, can I? I I got an idea. How about you take your bad leg, the one you damaged at the chili mac cook-off, and you lock it in behind your head? Oh, my bad leg? Oh, yes, 
You silly little minx, you're bad leg. Oh, well, all right then, hold on. Oh, how's this, brother? Can you get a good enough view of my hot box now? Oh, yeah. Oh, I say, oh. Oh, I say, dear sis. Oh, the smell down there is quite pugnant. Oh, oh well, it's how you like it, yes? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, the more sour, the better. <laughs> and that, dear listeners, was my interpretation of a ghostly incest sex scene. Now, to clarify, none of that dialogue exists in the book. How it actually exists in the book is simple back-and-forth ramblings of pretty much harder, faster, I'm about to come, and I came. That's it. Once the ghost of Aunt Carrie is done making sweet, sweet brotherly love, she greets the gang of adults and reveals to Jay that continuing the ancestral line of purebred clutes is why the evil exists in this town to begin with, and that by simply inbreeding with each other for so long, has brought on a darker form of evil called the Old One. Not really the devil, uh, it's more of an old demon who basically latches onto the purest and sickest form of humanity and cultivates there until something sicker develops elsewhere. In order to keep the Old One present in Victory, Missouri, Jay must continue the clute inbreeding and impregnate his daughter Kelly. And if anyone listening is ready to vomit in your mouth, now's the time to do so. Go ahead. I'll wait, because it's natural to vomit into your fucking mouth right about now. (laughs) Listen, if this was the nature of this book from page one, or even the synopsis, sure, I'd get behind whatever's stewing in John Stone's twisted brain. At least then, I'd know what to expect and be curious as to how he would tell the story, how he would shape it and continue it. But again, the book is titled Toy Cemetery. Everything about this book leads you to believe that Jay and his daughter Kelly acquire an old house from the will of his Aunt Carrie, and the house holds some sort of, you know, dark secret of twisted and demented toys, to which then Jay and Kelly must work together in order to survive a siege-like story of toys trying to murder them. God damn it, John Stone, I just made this story so much more easier for you. All of this incest stuff just comes off as gross and really has no proper foundation or build-up. Ah, okay, so that was pretty much the big reveal before the end. Now, the resolution of this book is about the most confusing part of the whole rotten sack of shit. Seriously, I can't stress enough how many times I had to reread certain pages because all of the pointless characters that we've been bombarded with are either being killed off now or they're turning heel. (laughs) Now, heel, that's a wrestling term for anyone who doesn't know, and it's when a wrestler essentially turns bad. And it's the only wrestling term I know, so I wanted to use it to honor some friends out there. You know who you are. Okay, so here's the overall cliff notes of the resolution. Jay, at some point, gets kidnapped by the sheriff of Victory and taken to the mental institution. Him and all the characters in the house, the house that they thought was safe, all of a sudden just gets broken into. And uh, he's struggling, and he runs to the back of the house, and he gets knocked out by a mysterious person. Sweet. Whatever. Sure. So he gets taken to the mental institution. 
Maybe we'll have a cool development about this demon called the Old One, but nope. He just escapes. He just escapes with the help of an orderly who no longer wants to be under the influence of the Old One now. So now we get to eventually find out what the Old One looks like about five chapters later. So it doesn't happen while he's in the mental institution, but we learn about it five chapters later when our main character is not even in the mental institution. Yeah, wrap that around your fucking brain, along with everything else. Please, if you can make sense of it, please, please, do something better than I can. <laughs> Reading this book was one thing, and it's, it's frustrating trying to even explain it to anybody. So the old one, I'm going to tell you what he looks like, and this is how it's described in the book, and I'm going to tell you right now, that's a big old fucking disappointment. The old one is described as simply looking like an old man. Well, well, hey, hey, wow. Cool. You know what? That's awesome, John Stone. You know, that's really fucking cool, man. An old man. An old man. I never would have come up with something as creative as that, you fucking twat. So then there's a sudden change and shift, and this is where all of the female characters, Deva, Jenny, Kelly, Piper, all of the main women in here, they suddenly become evil. Yep, you remember when I said earlier that all women folk are evil? Well, apparently in John Stone's world, they fucking are. They're all evil. And yep, this happens all out of the goddamn blue. And uh, remember I said earlier too that I told you to remember Kelly's strong-willed nature? That, you know, she's pretty much, even compared to Jay, she's the best written character? Well, go ahead and crumble that shit up like a pair of torn whitey tidies because now Kelly is evil. That's right, Kelly wants to do nothing now but have sex with her dad and continue the Clute bloodline because Jay won't do it, so now it's up to Kelly to continue it. And like I said, Piper, Jay's ex-wife, she's evil now too. And Deva and her daughter Jenny, they're all evil now too. Oh, and remember when I said that the gang of kids would return at the end? Well, they returned at the end and all of them are now fucking evil. They're all working for the old one. They're all working for Victory, Missouri. They all want to continue the ancestral bloodlines of everything. Evil, 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 evil. They're all fucking evil. All women folk are just fucking horrible and they should be dealt with accordingly. There's also a moment when another reveal happens, one that Johnstone decided, Oh, oh yeah, I'd better clear this up now while I'm at it. The people that get sent to the mental institution, well, there's an explanation as to why they leave all zombie-like. It's because their souls get transferred into, wait for it, the toys. <gasps> Here, now we're starting to get some momentum going. The fucking toys. Oh my god, the actual thing we're supposed to be reading about. Well, here's the thing. Their actual bodies are, from what I could gather, nothing but hollow shells. You could damage them, you can do anything you want to them, but when, it, when they are damaged, what's revealed is that their bodies break and it becomes porcelain. Mm-hmm. So see, what happens is, is when you get sent to the mental institution, your soul gets ripped right out of your body and put into a toy. And then your body becomes the toy, and the toy becomes you. Now, is there ever a cemetery in this book? <laughs> a toy cemetery? 
to my surprise, yes, there is. I'm at, I'm for I'm at a loss. There actually is a toy cemetery, but it's described in one paragraph. It's only dedicated to one paragraph, and it's a funeral service held by toys burying their dead because at one point toys suddenly come out of the woodworks and decide to help Jade to defeat the ghost of Aunt Carrie. So then on to another cliff note of the res of what happens in this resolution is Jay then finds out about the town pervert, Bruno Dixon. Remember when I said you'd hear you read about him in the end? Well, here it is. Now he's the end. The man who actually makes dolls. Now he shows up again. So Jay decides to go pay him a visit. Jay realizes that the Satanists also operate out of this abandoned toy store. And here's another big reveal. Here's a reveal I do not understand. It comes out of so left park, or left park. <laughs> it comes out of so left field that I, I can't explain it. So I'm just going to tell you. Jay finds out that the back rooms of the abandoned toy store were being used to film and distribute child pornography. Why this choice? I guess it makes a little sense due to the Satanist wanting to make sure everyone in town is continuing ancestral deeds, but because it's never mentioned or even hinted at by the Satanists themselves anywhere else in the book, this just comes off as plain stupid. It has no point to be in this book. It was like John Stone was hovering over his sweaty, greasy typewriter, trying to figure out what makes Satanists horrible and decided right there on the spot that child pornography must be what those devil-worshipping heathens do. So out of anger, Jay blasts a hole into Bruno and sets the whole place on fire. That is the second thing that this man only, that's the only thing this character does, the only sensible thing he does. So it's here that Jay manages to escape. And when he escapes, he, again, there's no lead up. And all of a sudden he's talking to military people. And he convinces the military about what has happened in Victory. And together with the military, they travel back to Victory because he can't stand the thought of leaving behind his daughter. However, shit goes south yet again. And he's knocked out due to a scuffle with more townspeople. And the book ends literally with Jay being nursed back to health by his daughter Kelly, who's full-bore evil now and begins plotting how she's going to have sex with dear daddy. Okay, so to recall back what I said where Jay got knocked out when all of a sudden they're all in the house and he gets broken into and then Jay suddenly gets knocked out, well, it's revealed then too that it was his daughter Kelly. That was, for some odd reason, that moment is when all the women in this book decide to turn evil and Kelly, his daughter, knocks him out. And my God, fuck this book. Please will someone save me from this deep, dark pit I've dug myself into. And that, dear listeners, is Toy Cemetery. <laughs> that is the best way I know how to share this book with you. Oh my God, it's an absolute mess. Ah, the first 100 and some change pages while completely moronic, is slightly entertaining a little bit. So much happens in the beginning that I was hooked. It was stupid shit, but I was like, whoa, okay. If it's going to move at this kind of a pace, I'm in. But then you get to about the 115, 120 page mark, and then the, the next 200 pages, it's all filler. Very little action happens. And you get to this point where you're like, why? What's going on? You're given so many characters, and so many characters are talking amongst each other, and because these characters have no definitive background or no definitive visualization, 
it becomes confusing of who's talking. It's like when Jay and Jim talk. I don't know who really Jay or Jim are, other than Jay has a daughter and Jim's a cop. But then there were many times where I was reading and I'm like, okay, it says Jim's talking. Is Shit, was Jim the one? Is Jim the main character? I can't remember. And then I, I look at the back of the book and realize, oh yeah, it's Jay. It's just, it's so maddening. But then, as you slowly submerge yourself, page after page, it becomes so hard to follow. And then it's in that difficulty to follow along with the book that you come across these moments where Johnstone writes some of the weirdest fucking sentences ever. Things that have no correlation to the story, and just how they're written in general. You're like, this makes no sense. Why would you even put this in here? I'll give you an example. Here's one example. I even had to highlight it with a highlighter. <laughs> even though the show is Don't Bend the Page, here I am fucking highlighting it. I know, I get it. But here's a moment in the book, and here the sentence goes like this. The people of victory were all going about their day in normal fashion, getting everything they needed from gasoline to pantyhose. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Why gasoline and pantyhose? You know, you see, deep down this motherfucker wrote horror books because he could use the genre to play out his gross fantasies. You know, it has to be, right? Like, that, never, never in my life have I ever heard anybody say, oh, I'm going to go out and get gasoline and pantyhose. No, just make it simple, especially since it's not even a paragraph that really connects one point of time to, the, to another. He's just writing just to write. So in that case, why not just write gasoline and groceries, two things that actually do go together in a normal day? It's... It, well, here I am trying to question this fucking book, and that's the last thing anyone should try to do. No structure, no development, absolutely no shits given. This was nothing more than a quick paycheck for old Johnstone, and it shows. I mean, after a little research on Johnstone himself, I came to realize he's actually kind of prolific, writing nearly over 200 novels. That's insanity. However, the vast majority of his career was dedicated to the Western and the survivalist uh, genres. His brief little detour into horror only happened in the 80s, and apparently every one of his horror novels are like Toy Cemetery. They're batshit and nonsensical. And trust me, I have about three more of his books staring at me right now. <laughs> well, I'll definitely you know, pay him a visit again, though not for a little while. I can't handle another one of his sloppy seconds. So, with all that said, can I recommend this book? <laughs> surprise, surprise, no, I can't. Now, if you're a masochistic bastard such as myself, and you want to try and crawl your way through this rabid gopher hole of a book, I can't stop you. Of course, you know. If anything, I will say it's a reading experience you'll never forget. So yeah, man, that's Toy Cemetery. Overall, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain how I felt about reading. You know what? Actually, hold on. Um, okay. You know what reading this book was like for me? I'll tell you now. Reading this book for me is like changing out the garbage bag. And when you go to tie it off, your fingers happen to grab a hold of something sticky and rotting because whoever threw their food away last didn't get all of the fucking food into the bag. So now you're looking down at your goddamn fingers, crusted with what looks like pulsating horror, and, you're, and the whole world around you just seems to be crumbling as you try to race to the sink. 
Yeah, that's Toy Cemetery. <laughs> oh, man. Now, is there is no audiobook available for this. However, it is available as a Kindle download. Hey, hey, there you go. That's right. If ever you're trying to find a reason to open up that Kindle Fire you got two Christmases ago, well, now's the time. <laughs> for fucking Toy Cemetery. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, well, that's going to be it, guys. That's going to be it for episode one of Don't Bend the Page podcast. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you guys did, too. This is uh, This is an idea I've had for a while now. And while there's always reviews out there for movies, there's never really anything out there for books, particularly the books that never get talked about. Like I mentioned earlier, the ones that just got whoosh, swept right under the rug. But I want to, you know, I want to bring them out. And uh, will they all, will all episodes be as, as horrifying as this one? Probably not. And in fact, I, I hope it doesn't. Uh, I'm hoping to walk away with, a, you know, some good books to actually recommend people. I think there's a couple in my stack I was looking at and researching. Some of them look pretty good. So I've got some hope for the future. But if not, at least we'll tumble down the rabbit hole together and see what we find. Okay? Um, but yeah, I guess here now I'm going to tell you where you can find me. The two best places will be Facebook, uh, Brandon M. Salkill. The last name is S-A-L-K-I-L. And I'm on Twitter at bsawkill1990. It's with Facebook or Twitter if you want to get a hold of me. And if you have any questions about Toy Cemetery. Uh, questions that I probably couldn't have gotten to in the show itself because, you know, I don't want to make this three hours long. Any questions at all, feel free to hit me up. I'll answer them the best I can. Uh, I do have a Patreon coming along the way as well. It's all together. It's not live yet. I still got to do some tweaks and stuff here, make sure that the perks and some of the uh, rewards I'm trying to build up for myself, make sure everything is... Uh, the goals I meant to say, every, all the goals are built up for myself. I'm trying to make sure everything is in order. So when it comes time to launch it, you have a clear indication of where I'm coming from and what my actual goals are. Um, so with that said, I'm signing off. This is Brandon Sawkill with Don't Bend the Page telling you to please don't bend the page. You can highlight in it. <laughs> Don't bend the page. Use anything as a bookmark. Please. Anything at all. Dig into your pants pocket and pull out that grocery list. Yeah, you pull it out and then you see everything was marked off except the eggs because you always fucking forget the eggs. Use that instead. Alright guys, talk to you again in a few weeks.